0: This is Selena from Idaho. I've never heard of I Doubt It with Dolomore. It doesn't sound like something anyone should listen to.
1: The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Here we go, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this 131st episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, the gal who makes me laugh, my lovely co-host britney page
2: that's me
1: (laughs) every time i start the show i like a long period to pass before i speak because in editing i have to remove noise because britney's mic has to be fucking turned way up and it just it catches everything
2: yeah it does I know all about how that works. That's your contribution
1: (laughs) to this, is that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just
2: backing (laughs) you up. That's kind of what I'm supposed to do. So
1: what happens is she tries to get me to laugh every single time. No. To fuck things up.
2: No, I'm not trying to get you to laugh. I'm just naturally very funny (laughs) and you naturally laugh at that. Right, right. Okay.
1: Well, that's, that's how it works, everybody. Welcome to the show. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, Before we start, I want to say I've been on two different shows this week. The Weekly Rewind with Tristan and the gang. I was a guest panelist, I guess, on that show, which is a a far more structured news countdown show. They just kind of tackle the the top 12 or whatever issues, and then they do. Well, anyway, if you'd like to hear more of my stupid voice and goings-on, check out the Weekly Rewind on iTunes, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Also, I think that my appearance on the Nerd Out Loud podcast is becoming a regular weekly thing with Jeremy and Christy. So, you might want to just subscribe and be listening to that weekly. It's a very short spot, 10 minutes or so, um, and it's turned out to be a really good time. So, you, I would admonish you to also check that out. So, I spent my Saturday in the emergency room of a veterans hospital yesterday. Yeah, you did. No good. Yes. It is amazing to me how every single VA is the same in in, in one certain aspect
2: in not being able to perform well.
1: Well, that too, but that that wasn't what I was thinking. <laughs> Actually, I thought that our visit to the ER was rel- relatively abbreviated. Mm-hmm. I've been in ERs before where it's a long time, especially when you're not bleeding or ceasing to breathe. Mm-hmm. In my case, um, after we left Spokane, having just left there, th- the day before we left, I, I started this heel pain And it felt, I I looked it up online because that's what everybody does now. You just search the web and see if somebody else has similar uh, symptoms and find out what is wrong with you, or me, as it were. And I thought that I had something going on with my Achilles tendon. That turned out to be not the case. The pain got so bad on Saturday that we we packed our bags (laughs) (laughs) and drove the, the 10 or 12 miles, 15 miles to Long Beach, to the VA hospital there. After a relatively extended wait, I was seen. They x-rayed me, and I have what is called a calcaneal spur. Sounds painful. I Instagrammed a picture of it, and this isn't your traditional calcaneal spur, which would be on the bottom of the foot, on the bottom of the heel. Mm -hmm. This is like, and Brittany is... Starting to call me this. It's like a cowboy spur <laughs> coming off the back of my heel like a... Like well, a cowboy like spur. Like a fucking cowboy spur, yeah. right? So, I don't know if I'm going to have to have surgery. I'm waiting for a consult with a podiatrist. I thought that was kind of a fake thing, but no, that's...
2: What do you mean you thought it was well, a fake I thing?
1: I, I mean, I joke. I, I don't really mean I thought they were fake. I just... I never thought I would have occasion to see a podiatrist. Mm-hmm. Like a foot doctor. Yeah. So I'm waiting for that. We'll see. I hope I don't have to have surgery. Hopefully they can use some kind of magic ointment or oil. Maybe I should check out Dr. Oz's show and see what he would have me do.
2: I think maybe not.
1: Because all day I've been torturing Brittany with YouTube videos of calcaneal spur surgeries. Yeah, it's horrific. And she is not a fan, apparently, of watching science done before her eyes.
2: I don't like watching surgeries happen it's the same it's with all (laughs) surgeries like nose jobs are terrible if you've ever seen a nose job performed, it's just terrible they got the chisel yeah uh uh, yeah i just if people have seen videos of other people getting plastic surgery Shouldn't that be enough to stop people from getting plastic surgery? I mean, it's
1: you would think it's just
2: bad. And then you were showing me these videos and I don't know how you'd be able to go forward with getting a surgery after watching the videos. Because then you have that in your head as you're going in.
1: Yeah. As I'm going in with the little
2: fork prongs that are pulling apart your heel. it
1: It is weird how not gentle they are with the body while you're under the influence.
2: Yeah, well, they have a job to do.
1: I guess it's not under the influence. Th- that's what I am now, since I have ha- code- codeine. That's what it is, right? Just, right. Just aspirin with codeine. Mm-hmm. That shit hits me quick, man. That's no. That is no. <laughs> that is no joke. I take a pill, and within five minutes, I'm getting heady. I- I'm feeling my head's a little swimmy. Hmm. So I'm under the influence now. We'll see how this goes, <laughs> but no promises. As always, no promises. Before we move on, though, uh, we got some voicemail and a message from a listener. And we definitely want to get to those. So without further ado.
3: Hello, everybody. Jesse, Brittany, this is Jeremy. I am calling to inquire um, who Jesse supports in the Republican primary. Uh, I know that you are conservative. Um, I've picked up on that, on the subtle hints left on the podcast. And I, I, I don't ever hear you talk positively about any of the candidates. So it, it does make me wonder, you know, who are you going to throw your support behind? Who is going to get the I doubt it with Dolomore bump come primary season? Please do indulge me. Thank you.
1: Well... It's too soon. It's way too soon, and that's not even a cop out. There are still—I mean, Jeb Bush hasn't formally announced his candidacy yet. He announces—I—I—I I, I hear rumors that it's going to happen tomorrow. But I don't know. Uh, I, at this early stage, I think I would support. And this is very preliminary. I—I'm not. Don't <laughs> not like there's out, out there people recording this and ready for the. Well, you said, but right now in this early stage of the game, I would support um, John Kasich from Ohio. This year, I've talked about my, my pet issue being poverty and how to deal with that in a responsible way, and I think John Kasich is the guy, and then strategically, he's also the governor of Ohio, and you don't win the presidency without picking up Ohio. So he it would be a very important get for for the Republicans. But also I don't he's not your die to the wool. He's the kind of Republican, let's just put it this way. He's the kind of Republican that my parents would call a rhino.
2: Republican in name only.
1: That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. So that's my kind of Republican. If the extreme right wing of the Republican Party are calling you names and calling you a phony. You're my guy.
2: So what about the gay marriage issue? Where does John Kasich stand on that issue? Because that's another one of your kind of pet issues. That's your litmus test, right?
1: I don't know. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. And obviously I didn't do the due diligence enough to look into it. But my my gut would tell me that he is right on the issue. He is correct on the issue. So only time will tell. I really hope he gets into the into the cycle here because time is drawing nigh, and we need some some good fresh blood in there, not just a lot of the same. We also got another message this week that we wanted to get to.
2: This is from Tom, and he sent it to us on Facebook through the I Doubt It With Dolomar podcast Facebook page. And if you haven't liked that, you can go and click the like button and give us some support.
1: You definitely need to go click the like button. Okay. Like the Facebook page. If you're listening to us, even if it's begrudgingly, why don't you go begrudgingly like the Facebook page? Anyway, go ahead. Sorry.
2: So Tom (laughs) wrote us a message and he says, Hey, Jesse and Brittany. I just wanted to share with you a follow-up that you two did a while back on the University of Minnesota and how far political correctness has gone. Parenthetically, some of it good, most of it ridiculous. So attached is a screenshot of an email sent out to all students following an armed robbery on slash near campus. Love how the criminal's description is withheld, but the vehicle color is given because that helps narrow it down. (laughs) Anyways, love the show. Just finished up my first three years in getting my doctor of physical therapy and listen each morning while driving to campus, except for when Jesse fucks up the upload.
1: Goddamn. Also
2: attached... (laughs) Also attached is a stats book that Brittany can read so she doesn't get confused so easily in her second year of grad school. Ah,
1: see? Not just shitting on me. He's taking a swipe at you, too.
2: Plus, this will help so you won't have to play the violin every time she talks about how difficult XYZ math is. And yes, if questioned, I did just shit on you, Brittany. Well. There you go. Well, Tom, how dare you?
1: For the record, I don't have a violin, but I'm going to go get one. After this, we're certainly going to go get a violin sound effect to play.
2: What is this how difficult X, Y, Z math is? Is that X, Y, Z and math or what's going on there?
1: I, are you asking me or are you asking Tom? I'm That's asking. An email.
2: I'm asking everyone <laughs> because I am mad right now. No, I'm kidding. Um, So he did attach a book, though, uh, for me. And I will have Tom know that in the fall, I will be taking experimental design, so maybe that book will come in handy for my class. Maybe so. And again, how dare you, sir?
1: L- let me, let's, first I tell you what, let's address his, the, the email and the the sub, sum and substance of the email right away, that uh, it is ridiculous on college campuses that they do shit like that, where they will... A crime has occurred, so they want to give details about the crime to solve it to capture the individual responsible. They describe his car with color because that is important. Right. That they That is said, a feature of the car that would be able to help you identify the car.
2: Right. They said the suspects fled the area in a gray SUV. Detailed suspect descriptions are not available at this time.
1: Right. They had that. They just withheld it. Isn't Minnesota one of those campuses that th- I believe they are one of those campuses that w- it tries to get all cute with, with, uh, subste- suspect descriptions, not, not releasing race? I guess so, which is kind of important.
2: It's pretty important.
1: If a guy's in a wheelchair and he's fleeing on his, in his wheelchair. That's kind of an important detail you'd want to say.
2: Well, that that's discriminating against people <laughs> that are so, in
1: wheelchairs. So fucking dumb. And then the other thing that I want to talk about, thanks for sharing that, Tom, very much. The other thing is, I love that we do not have a stupid fucking audience. Hmm. We got a lot of smarties, a lot of educated, or in the process of becoming educated, audience members. Mm-hmm. Several people who are currently in grad school, many many people who are actually in college right now and that is an awesome thing i I would venture to say that we have a more educated audience than most most shows well and i'm basing that solely on my own thinking
2: okay yeah yeah Yeah, and then, of course, you're going to have people <laughs> that are thinking in their heads, well, you know, intelligence doesn't necessarily come from education. No. Right, Jesse D? Well,
1: it doesn't. I wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. But we do have a lot of friends who who try to make that argument or say posts mm-hmm. on Facebook, say posts. Apparently, I'm not part of the educated audience. Yeah. Uh, my thing with that is we're just looking at the general at the average. And I think most people in postgraduate work in school are going to be smarter than your average uneducated person.
2: Okay, so you can uh, stop S in Tom's D now, if you'd like. <laughs>
1: wow. <laughs> wow. Unacceptable. And since you stopped me from S in the D, what? Is there anything else? Well, or, or shall I move the program along as is my my duty?
2: yes, but we really appreciate Tom's message, and we love when we get messages of people
1: people Essen on us yes, that's your word. I can say it. people who love to shit on us,
2: yes, I don't mind
1: it i don't I'm very self deprecating so. That's just how c- confident I am.
2: No, I think it's I think it's funny, and I like it. And I also like uh, free things, so that's nice. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Brittany really does like the free shit, so that's good to go. If you would like to communicate with the show, like Jeremy and Tom have done in this episode, 657-464-7609. That is our number. Leave us a fewer than three-minute voicemail. Or as always, you can email us a voice memo from your smartphone, to I Doubt it at dollamore.com. We're still looking for promos. That is stuff that we, we're we always looking for at the top of the show. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and how you never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. Before I get on with the show, why don't I just talk about Amazon? If you're going to spend your money anyway at Amazon, why don't you stop by dollamore.com, and on the left-hand side of the page, there's a link to get straight through to Amazon to spend all of that money that you were gonna spend there, every little bit from every purchase goes a long way towards supporting your favorite show filled with news, news and ridiculous comment. We also have Patreon, which apparently we're gonna talk a little bit more about in the near future. That is Patreon.com/slash. I doubt it with dollar more. You can set a a monthly max and a per episode donation whether it be 25 cents or 50 cents or a dollar or more and like we always say really a little bit goes a long way we really appreciate it and it does help us to defray costs and just gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling inside my cold black dead heart toward you the audience dollarocracy 2016 Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. As you know, or I would hope you know, being a, a listener to this show, Lindsey Graham, the senator from South Carolina, is now an official candidate for the presidency of the United States. Lindsey Graham is also a bachelor. Lindsey Graham does not have a wife. Lindsey Graham does not even have a girlfriend. Lindsey Graham subsequently is rumored as being a homosexual. (laughs) I don't think it matters. I think withholding something like that may or may not matter. I really haven't given it enough thought to uh, come down with a position on it. But him not having a first lady is apparently talk of the town in Washington. Rick Santorum was recently on with Aaron Burnett on CNN, and they had this exchange discussing Senator Mark Kirk and his comments that he thought were off mic. However, when you're on Capitol Hill, you should just always act as though and behave as though you are on mic. So they were discussing his comments about Lindsey Graham being a no-ho, being a a bro no-ho, a no-ho bro. Is that what he said?
2: Yeah, he says that he's a bro with no-ho. A a bro
1: with no-ho.
2: Right, right, right. Today, the Republican Senator Mark Kirk uh,
4: was, was speaking at an Appropriations Committee meeting. Uh, he said he was joking with colleagues when he made a comment about Lindsey Graham, who's running for office. It was about his bachelorhood and what it would be like in the White House. And I wanted to play for you what Senator Kirk said. I
3: have He's the He's a bro with uh, no hope.
5: I see the look on your face. Um, well, look, yeah, like
3: people are, you know, this is locker room conversation that in today you don't have the privilege of having locker room conversations. You you can't say anything off off mic off mm-hmm. camera, and you know uh, guys will be guys when they're sitting there up on a on a on a platform. Uh, Mark Kirk's a good guy. Mark Kirk is uh... you know I'm sure it wishes he hadn't been overheard and making some sort of uh, funny remark. Lindsey Graham's a good guy, and I just think this is much to do about nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, both are both are decent folks, and. Uh, They're good this guys. I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that whether Lindsey Graham is qualified to be president or
4: Should Mark Kirk apologize to women for making a comment, you know, yeah, I, calling yeah, women hoes, essentially? Yeah, That's I, what he did. Again,
3: he's again, I, it's, to me, it's, it's disappointing that, that someone would say something like that. <laughs> I'll leave it up to Mark Kirk to determine whether he wants to
5: apologize.
1: Uh, get the fuck out of here. Are you kidding me? This is, is a non-issue. Would he be apologizing if he made a joke about bros before hoes? It's it's a it's a common term in our vernacular. It doesn't mean he thinks all women are whores.
2: Mm-hmm. Am I wrong in this? Uh, I do not believe so.
1: All right, that's a bold stance, Brittany Page. Thanks for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think you're wrong. I think it's you know he is trying to be funny. Right. I
1: think there is, listen, I I am certainly one that doesn't defend the, 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 the idea that, well, that was said in private. It shouldn't be criticized. I'm not one of those. However, this is just two dudes talking irreverently about a buddy that he's a bro with no hoe. He's even doing a stupid rhyme. Yeah. It's just an unfunny couple of nerds talking about their nerd friend.
2: Right. It's not as though he actually talks like that or... Right. I mean, it just, it's not very <laughs> Can even... Can you imagine? It's not like meaningful <laughs> speech. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it does bring an interesting question of the whole first lady thing. I mean, right. it's not as though Lindsey Graham is going to be the next president, but it's an interesting <laughs> conversation to have anyway. And I looked it up and I think James Buchanan is the only president that didn't have a first lady because he never married. Right. And so his... and he's not even
1: the rumored the, the rumored gay. That would be Lincoln <laughs> who was married with children.
2: Right. So uh, his niece, it looks like, acted as a first lady right. for him.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, listen, I don't think it's that big a deal. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Our country is certainly facing issues of more import than whether or not our president has or has not a companion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ugh. But for the record, Lindsey Graham has said that he has proposed that there would be a rotating stable of women that might step in as, and I don't mean stable, like a stable of hose. Uh-oh, maybe I should apologize. Erin Burnett, she'll be coming knocking on my door next. But he has proposed that there might be a, a number of women who could rotate through satisfying the position first lady Mm -hmm. why does there need to be the position of first lady i don't understand that maybe it's because it's traditional it's the traditional marriage
2: well don't they do something
1: um they have in the past that doesn't mean they have to continue into the future doing things
2: well why do you want them to not be there doing things
1: i don't i don't not not want them there it just if it happens that that goes down why does that position have to exist Mm-hmm. Be- only because of tradition.
2: Well, it also begs the question of Hillary Clinton and Bill Absolutely, Clinton. Sure. So, what is Bill Clinton going to do? Is uh, he going to be called the first lady?
1: I don't know. Is the- he going
2: to take over the FLOTUS Twitter account?
1: <laughs> the first gentleman.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean,
1: what will he be? Well,
2: it's kind of exciting to see what will happen. Yeah,
1: I'm super excited. Oh, about it's it.
2: real exciting. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, let's move on to something of a little bit more importance and seriousness. Bernie Sanders was recently on the Charlie Rose show, hosted not by Charlie Rose, conspicuously enough. And they talked a little bit about what policies relative to taxation that Bernie, Bernie Sanders might impose upon the country.
3: On economics, uh, you call for a really a massive uh, uh, dist- redistribution of income from the very wealthy who made out very well uh, in recent years to the middle class. And it would be done, as, as I read your your website and others in your speeches, chiefly through the tax code. Uh, you want to close a lot of loopholes such as the, that that allows people to evade taxes by going to Cayman Islands. But how about rates? What would you raise the top rate to? It's 39.6 now. Would you go over 50
5: well, I-, I promise you, Al, that you know I don't like to give policy off the top of my head. We are working right now on a comprehensive uh, tax package, which I suspect will, for the top marginal rates, go over 50%. But here's the story. You talk about, correctly, uh, my desire to see redistribution of wealth. And you know why I believe that's important? Because in the last 30 years, there has been a massive – we're talking about many trillions of dollars be re- being redistributed – From the middle class to the top one-tenth of 1%. And I think at a time when the middle class is disappearing, when you have millions of families who have virtually nothing in the bank, they don't know how they're going to retire, you have people working for 8 bucks an hour, I say, yeah, it is time to redistribute money back to the working families of this country from the top one-tenth of 1%, and tax policy is one of the ways we do that.
1: For the record, those sirens are not coming (laughs) from us. I don't know what was going on there, but that is inside their studio.
2: Well, not everyone can have perfect sound quality like us.
1: Wow, that's true, Brittany Page. Thank you for that, uh, that little bit of, of confidence building in me. Mm-hmm. But that is my job. Yes. You have nothing to do with that side of things.
2: I barely do anything around here.
1: <laughs> but to move on and talk about the, the guts of what Bernie Sanders is saying here, This is troubling to me, I believe. Well, I don't believe it's troubling to me. I know it's troubling to me, but I believe it to be troubling.
2: (laughs) Right. Thank you for clarifying that.
1: I don't mind him planning to close loopholes. Actually, first, let me say this. It's odd to me that he's had this many months to decide whether he's going to run for president and prepare his answers and prepare his policies. And he still doesn't have an answer. When asked this question all the time by people, whether it be Wolf Blitzer or this sit in, this stand in for Charlie Rose. He doesn't have an answer. Well, we're you know, we're looking at that. We're we're deciding what to do. It's I, listen, I don't think he's a disingenuous guy, but it's certainly not a genuine answer I don't believe. And then it it brings us to that the the top marginal rate would be over 50% for the wealthiest Americans. I fundamentally have a problem with this. Because that is not equal justice under the law. They're paying for more as a percentage of what they earn than me. They don't get any more percentage of services for that. It just doesn't seem American, fundamentally American, that they be taxed at a higher percentage than the rest of America. And I don't think it's a way punishing someone for their success. I don't believe is a way, an earnest way, to shore up some of the deficiencies we see in our society relative to economics and relative to income uh, inequality. Closing loopholes, like I said, that is awesome. I don't believe they should be able to run off to another country with their money and still maintain and enjoy the same services and the same freedom and the same participation in our system. So... I don't know. Uh, B- Bernie Sanders, is, like I said, he's a lovable guy. He's, a, he's an honest, earnest man, but he's just wrong on many things.
2: Well, we watched that documentary with Robert Reich about yeah, yeah. income inequality.
1: I think and... it's called Inequality for All or something. Yeah,
2: that sounds right. And, I mean, w- y- when you watch documentaries, you have to definitely take a step back and yes. realize that maybe not everything being presented is factual and, and all that kind of stuff. They're
1: only showing one side to the coin. Right. Yeah.
2: But in that documentary, I believe there was talk of people like Mitt Romney or very, very wealthy individuals like that who actually get taxed at a lower rate than average citizens. So would that be one of the loopholes that Bernie Sanders is referring to, that sometimes these rich people are able to get taxed at a lower rate than average citizens?
1: Uh, That would be. And I would have a problem with that as well. I don't think that I think it should be an equal thing across the board. Mm-hmm. No one should have a lower rate. No one should have a higher rate. Obviously, there are those in our country who probably shouldn't be taxed because if they are at the bottom, and we don't want to punish them. Continue to just weigh down on them with the financial burden of taxes. Right. But if you're if you're middle class, upper middle class, or super wealthy, the same percentage should be applied. That's just me. It just seems to be common sense to me that we we treat everybody equally. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that what we're about? Equality? It's the same reason why I have a problem with Citizens United and these billionaires being able to pour hundreds of millions of dollars into the political system under the guise of political speech. Because if they have $900 million to pour in, that's a whole lot of political speech. I don't have that much political speech, so it it's a little different.
2: Right. Well, I would like to hear people who want to tax the rich at a higher rate kind of hear their reason for that. Yeah, so would I. Um, and and if not it's... in
1: document documentarian form where it's just their particular... Fo- I'd like a back and forth with one of those people. Yeah. I- I've had it before. I've talked with George Zimmer, the former CEO of Men's Warehouse before, mm-hmm. a couple different times at length. And he, for him, it's just a heart issue. Mm -hmm. He can't justify it based on freedom or equality. It's just a, I've done really well for myself, and I think it's okay. Right. You know, but still, you're taking from someone... What they've earned, it is theirs. You're taking it from them and giving it to someone else. Fundamentally, I just I don't agree with that.
2: Yeah, and I I definitely used to feel that way, and then I think through us kind of arguing about it, I've yeah, right. I've had to come around a little bit. I mean, I still instinctually feel like sure. I would like rich people to be taxed more than average people. Well, it's in-group out-group. But it's impossible for me to completely just disregard what you're saying because right. what you're saying is right. So I'm fighting with an instinct that I have with uh logic, I guess. Well, there's
1: <laughs> it's somewhere in the there's got to be somewhere in the middle. Right. And I think I am in the middle on this. I don't think I'm far far right on this. Anyway, the interview went on and they talked a little bit about Hillary and her stance on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, that trade deal we talked about a couple times on the show, and this is how that went down.
5: I've known Hillary Clinton for 25 years, and I have a lot of respect for her, and I intend to run this campaign not through personal attacks, but on issues. And Hillary Clinton and I disagree on a number of issues. The issue that is forefront right now, in the forefront, is this Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, I have helped lead the effort against that. I have been in opposition to all of these terrible trade agreements that have cost us millions of jobs. Al, I frankly don't understand how you could be a major candidate for president of the United States, Hillary Clinton, or anybody else and not have an opinion on that issue. You well, could be for it, you could be against it. Well, let me tell you, she went,
3: you and Martin O'Malley and Hillary Clinton appeared before the AFSCME executive board this past week, yes, I believe, sure. and they asked, all. I think separately, yes. they asked all of you about it, and I am told by very reliable sources that what Hillary Clinton responded was, we don't know what's in the TPP yet, we don't know the details, <laughs> so I can't take a position until I know what the details are. Well, Is first of reasonable? all,
5: there's some truth to that, and that talks to the reason why you should vote against it. If a major, major bill, which deals with 40% of the world's economy, is coming before the United States Congress, and members of Congress don't know what's in it, do you think it might be a good reason to vote against well, it? Well, but it's not up yet. I mean, you actually voted on Fast Track. You didn't vote on the TPP. Well, Fast Track is the key vote. Because okay. if Fast Track gets passed, TPP will get passed. But her, her
1: explanation to ask me doesn't cut it with you? No, of course it doesn't. Is come. it a cop-out in your view? Yes, it is. Two things here. One, if a major, major bill is coming forward and none of the members of Congress know what's in it, you should automatically not vote for it. Apparently his memory is short because that is exactly what they did with Obamacare. That is precisely what they did with the Affordable Care Act. There was this giant thousands of pages bill that no one knew what was in it and they all voted for it. Now that is coming to bite them in the ass because it is before the Supreme Court and there is a likelihood that it may be overturned or be forced to be amended. We'll see. That would be the first point. The second point would be talking about how Hillary Clinton at one time very much supported this Trans-Pacific Partnership, notwithstanding the fact that no one knows what's in it. Several times she she has spoken glowingly and supportively of the TPP. Chuck Todd... This last weekend or recently was on his show with John Podesta, who is the chairman of her campaign, and they talked a little bit about Hillary Clinton's different positions. I don't want to say flip-flop. Well, we'll say flip-flop. Her different positions throughout the years. I want to ask you about some of those because the trade issue actually fits in with a whole bunch of changes. Over the
3: last decade, she shifted her position on same-sex marriage, on immigration, on
1: NAFTA, on the Iraq war, on Cuba policy, on criminal justice reform, just a just a few that she's done recently. These all they're all to the left, all to the progressive side of things. How do should progressives believe these are changes of conviction and not simply changes of convenience because the democratic Chef, electorate has changed?
3: I I don't think there's anybody who's been more consistent in their entire career from the day she left Uh, law school went to work for the Children's Defense Fund from her work, uh, in Arkansas to First Lady of the United States. She's fought for children, for families. Uh, she's made her, uh, uh, priorities clear, her values clear. Uh, you know, times change. Uh, a decade ago, I think a lot of people had a different view, uh, on, uh, on marriage equality. Today, the, the the country has shifted. She's at the forefront of saying that that is a right that every American should have. She's gone further and said we need to protect uh, the LGBT community uh, in the workplace. So I think uh,
1: circumstances change. This isn't 1992. It's- We're not talking about 1992, John Podesta.
2: Well, hold on. He keeps on saying that times are changing, but right. he's trying to say that Hillary Clinton has remained the same
1: for, not for the de- case. For decades. Yeah, not the case. And
2: what would be better for him to say is, well, times have changed, and Hillary Clinton has changed on some of her positions, to just be honest, rather than a blanket statement of, no, she's been the same ever since she was 10 years old.
1: Right. Well, here's, well, or even 1992, 23 years ago, we're not talking about decades ago, This next clip is from Chris Matthews talking to Hillary Clinton during a town hall meeting while she was running for Senate for New York. The New York Times recently began posting the celebrations of of, of gay unions. Not just straight people getting married, but gay people who want to announce their unions. Do you think New York State should recognize gay marriage? No. No? Okay. (laughs) You, uh, let's talk about, it. I'm going to run through these, and then we're going to this kid right here. Would you apply an abortion litmus test when reviewing judicial nominees, especially the Supreme Court? Would you insist that a person be pro-choice before you accepted them?
6: I would insist that a person follow the judicial precedent, and I believe that Roe v. Wade was an appropriately decided decision.
1: Notice how he completely lets her off the hook there. Well, the audience didn't let her off the hook. So, here it is in its glory one more time, in a short form. Do you think New York State should recognize gay marriage? No. No. Okay. <laughs> then just just a little bit more than a decade ago, Hillary Clinton, this is 2004, everybody. 2004, Hillary Clinton gave a speech on the floor of the United States Senate. This what that's me. I want I want to clarify exactly what I'm getting to here. She gives a speech, meaning she sat down, she, she either wrote it or she had a speechwriter write it. Thought went into this. These aren't extemporaneous remarks. These are planned, well-thought-out remarks that she's going to stand on hallowed ground on the floor of the United States Senate, on the record, and say this.
6: I believe that marriage is not just a bond, but a sacred bond between a man and a woman. I have had occasion in my life to defend marriage, to stand up for marriage, to believe in the hard work and challenge of marriage. So I take umbrage at anyone who might suggest that those of us who worry about amending the Constitution are less committed to the sanctity of marriage or to the fundamental bedrock principle that it exists between a man and a woman going back into the mists of history as one of the founding foundational institutions of history and humanity and civilization and that it's primary principal role during those millennia has been the raising and socializing of children for the society into which they are to become
1: adults. If we were to disguise that voice, lower that voice like she was a a witness protection person, and i was to tell you that that was rick santorum no one would 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 not believe me everyone would believe me on that hillary clinton only 10 years ago held a position with word with very articulate words and thoughts that rick santorum holds today so brittany and i have kind of argued about this
2: Not kind of. We've argued about it.
1: We we argued about it. Whether we should even talk about this or play this and what would be the motivation behind it. I truly believe this is just for information. I really believe that the audience needs to know this is a grown woman in in her 50s who believed... That marriage was between a man and a woman and it went back into the mists of history and uh, all the weird shit about how it's meant to be to raise and culture children in our society. All the things that she would completely deny now. This highly educated woman was late to to the gay marriage table later than me former christian, former extreme right-wing person. She's she was late. So it's right. it's either she really changed her mind, this liberal lady, or she's a liar who does believe in gay marriage but chose her own political progress and career over the fundamental civil rights of her fellow Americans.
2: Right. Well, I don't I don't think the changing of her mind is necessarily problematic. And you and I kind of disagree about this. But I think, you know, part of the reason many of the subjects that we talk about on the show, we talk about with the hopes that it will start a conversation and that conversation will lead to people changing their hearts and minds. Right. Absolutely. And so it's it's within the realm of possibility that. Someone can change their mind on gay marriage. And we should hope.
1: I believe that, yes. We
2: should hope that people like Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, all these people will eventually go the way of Hillary Clinton and change their minds, quote unquote, about gay marriage, whether it be because they're forced to because of a Supreme Court ruling or because they're doing it because it's popular.
1: Like I said, this is simply informational and I wanted to put it out there for our audience. So they know, because I don't know about you. I, I guess I'll pose you that question, Brittany. Do you believe that she just changed her mind, or do you believe she was working under the guise and the auspices of political expediency for her career?
2: I think it's probably the latter, and right. I, I think it's similar to what we talk about with, we don't believe Barack Obama's a Christian. We don't believe he's a Muslim right. either, just so everyone knows. Um <laughs> We don't, believe, we don't believe that he is a person of faith, right. but he pretends that he is, and he ends all of his speeches with, God bless America, and he does the whole thing that he's supposed to do, because right. if he doesn't, an atheist is the most feared presidential candidate. Right, right. So that person cannot win if they're honest about their lack of belief in God. So it's similar to this kind of thing with the gay marriage, is that, well, 10 years ago, it was becoming more acceptable, but it still wasn't as accepted as, as, as it is today, and now it's becoming more norm. Right. And, and so she's had to transition.
1: Here's my problem with it, though. It's rather than talk about issues of substance like Bernie Sanders is doing, he is not shying away. And it might be his demise. It may be his presidential demise that he's not shying away from policy, from, from issues of import, while Hillary Clinton is giving speeches Filled, filled to the brim with this kind of shit.
6: I've seen it up close and personal. All our presidents come into office looking so vigorous. And then we watch their hair grow grayer and grayer. Well, I may not be the youngest candidate in this race, but I will be the youngest woman president in the history of the United States. And and the first grandmother as well. And one additional advantage? You won't see my hair turn white in the White House. I've been coloring it for years.
1: (laughs) So that's the kind of stuff that she is not peppering into her speeches. They're filled with that kind of fluff. And it's a bummer that that's the kind of shit that will propel her to the nomination. Anyway, we'll move on. I wanted to get that all out there for you, the audience. So you could make up your own mind and and think about this critically, not just being blinded by the words of, of John Podesta when he says, oh, Hillary's always been a, a wonderful advocate for for gay marriage. And even now she wants protections in place relative to employment and housing and be a protected class like religion, creed, age race
2: well and i'd be curious to get some calls from the audience to see what they think of her comments in 2004 and possibly 2001 to see what they think about her flip-flopping on that issue
1: right because she certainly flip-flopped and listen i'm not saying that she's a terrible person for this i realize there is a certain necessity for saying you're one thing and being another i get that but does it matter to you does it matter? 657-464-7609, or you can email us a voice memo from your smartphone. Please do at it at dollamore.com. Moving on to the story du jour. Hilarious. We left Spokane. <laughs> we left Spokane on Wednesday. We arrived, and I think this story broke on Thursday, maybe Friday, and I thought that it was some kind of a a Facebook algorithm thing that they they knew we were there and then they threw this in my feed because we had just been in Spokane. President of the Spokane, Washington chapter of the NAACP, the national, the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People, which in itself is a fucking weird change your name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, Rachel Dolzal is the president there. And there has been all kinds of hubbub. This is an international story now. And it really it leads me to something I've thought about about Spokane for many, many years. In fact, on the way walking from dinner the other night, I was talking to Brett number one about just how white Spokane is. Well, it turns out Spokane is so white that even their NAACP chapter president <laughs> is a white lady. This is the internet has gone goddamn crazy over this story over the last few days, and we're going to talk about it just a little bit. This woman who teaches Africana studies at Eastern Washington University in Cheney was interviewed by KXLY, the local television station there, and they asked her a a long, it's like an eight-minute interview, and they ask her all kinds of stuff, and at the very end of the interview, he asks her this question. Are you African-American?
4: I don't don't understand the question.
1: That pregnant pause is a beautiful thing for that reporter because he knows he's got her in the spirit of what, the way we do things on this show, I want to give you the whole context of what was talked about and not that one little soundbite that you've been hearing on the news everywhere.
4: So I know what these images mean and take them very seriously given the, the history of, of racism in the United States.
3: Speaking of that, did your dad ever make it to Spokane in January for the ribbon cutting?
4: Um, n- no, actually, he has... Um, an- unfortunately has bone cancer and was not able to get clear for surgery and and so yeah that sounds like a terrible break for
1: you I'm sure that he would he, he would have been very proud of you
3: is that your dad
4: yeah that's that's my dad
3: this man right here is your father right there
4: you have a question about that yes ma'am
3: okay. I was wondering if uh, <laughs> if your dad really is an african-american man
4: that's a very I mean, I don't I don't know what you're implying.
3: Are you African-American?
4: I don't I don't understand the question of I did tell you that, yes, that's my dad. And Do he wasn't able to
2: come in January.
1: Are your parents? I'm are not, they white?
2: I, I re-
1: I re- and Rachel Dolezal walks away.
2: So she was outed by her parents on Thursday this week.
1: That's exactly right. She was ultimately, when the press went to her parents to find out exactly what the deal was, they kind of, they were forced into saying what the hell was going on.
2: Right. So her parents are both white and she... They were, they've were. they been showing old pictures of her on the internet. That's right. And she looks white, because both her parents are white. But now, today, she looks very, very different from how she looked...
1: In the pictures that her parents have released. Right. Yeah. The, she, she is blonde-haired, blue-eyed, blonde, straight hair. I am more dark and black <laughs> than Rachel Dolezal. Her parents were on CNN, and they were, I think, with Poppy Harlow... And they have an exchange.
7: This story is strange. It just doesn't seem to make sense. You've provided us a birth certificate of Rachel's. You've given us family photos of Rachel. Why is your daughter then pretending to be black? We
4: can't answer that question for her. She has not explained to us why she is doing what she's doing and, and being dishonest and deceptive with her identity
7: do you I mean this is your daughter though why do you think she's pretending
5: well basically bottom line we're just saying that we are we're confirming the truth we are her birth parents and we do not understand why she feels it's necessary to misrepresent her ethnicity
7: Now, this has clearly been going on for a while. When did it start?
4: It started kind of gradually, maybe around 2007 or so, but we first heard about her claims to be African-American from a newspaper article from the Spokane, Washington area, and that was the first we knew she was doing it. She has never claimed to be biracial or African-American in our presence.
7: She's risen to be a leader, as we see. I mean, she's the president of the local chapter of the NAACP. She's risen to be a leader in the African-American community in Spokane. Why, you say the first time you heard about her misrepresenting herself was from a newspaper, or from when a newspaper article came out. Is that why you haven't spoken out before?
4: Well, it, this newspaper article that I'm referring to was some years ago, but Rachel has not wanted to have contact with us. And so we haven't communicated with her about this.
5: We've only recently been contacted as her birth parents to verify that she is our daughter. We've never been brought into the picture. We've never been asked these questions until now.
1: It's just a really strange situation. I find it more funny than anything else. Because I don't think that she's really doing any any real damage. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it's... I'm I'm sure that some feelings are hurt, and but I don't think the black cause is being set back. I mean, I'm white, so I'm saying that I I don't really have any inside information. But it just seems to me that she's she's a she's damaged goods. I I don't I don't take her as just some liar. You know what I mean? Something's something's going on where she wants to identify with another group because she's feeling left out or lonely or I, I don't know. You know, but she. I've, I've read many different places that, where they're saying that she doesn't identify as black or that they're trying to justify or make excuses for her behavior, and that's just not the case.
4: The president of the NAACP, who we think is a black woman who says she's the victim of hate crimes, might not be black. That seems like a misrepresentation. I can, I can understand that. I mean, like I said, it's more important for me to clarify that with the black community and with my executive board, than it really is to explain it to a community that I quite frankly don't think, you know, really understands the definitions of race and ethnicity. Do you think anyone within the Spokane NAACP
3: is unclear about your identity?
4: Um, I'm not sure.
3: Would you identify yourself as an
6: African-American?
4: I actually don't like the term African-American. I prefer black. And I would say that if, um, you know, if I was asked, I would definitely say that yes, I do consider myself to be black.
1: So this is the beauty of, of language is we have the commonality of language. We communicate with one another knowing the different terms, the nomenclature of our words. So when he asks, are you African American? She says, well, I don't really like that term African American. I like the term black. So then she can, she can wiggle and weasel out of the exact answer. But ultimately, that's what she says.
4: Yes, I do consider myself to be black.
1: She's not black. Well, it's
2: interesting that before she was asked, are you African-American? And she said she didn't understand the question. Yeah. Seems like she understood it here.
1: Right. Well, this is so... later. This is later when she's had time to think. Monday, she is supposed to give... A statement, or a statement is expected. And I am curious to see what she says. Like I said, ultimately, I don't think this story is uh, that big a deal. Although it's very strange. It's interesting. Uh, Mark Lamont Hill, the the Columbia professor, has been on Fox, or not Fox News. He's not a Fox News guy anymore. He dumped him.
3: Apparently, they weren't his flavor.
1: He is now with CNN, and he... Is a little upset about this. He, you know, about cultural appropriation. It's not just appropriating, or it's appropriating to the highest degree that you can. Because looking at her pictures from when she's a young woman and she has blonde, straight hair and blue eyes and a white freckle face to now when her skin is bronzed and she has super curly, like mixed race child hair. And there are pictures from her past where she has dark, black, super curly, like, afro hair. And it's just fucking bizarre to me, you know?
2: Right, and I've seen comments of people diagnosing her with things yeah, and yeah. stuff like that, and I think it's it's just too early to really know what's going on, and, and who knows what's going on? I mean, we just have no idea. So I'm looking forward to her statement tomorrow, and hopefully that will shed some light on her motivations and kind of what happened here.
1: Yeah, I'm interested. Like I said, not all that important, just I think super, super interesting. Moving right along, a little science... Nobel laureate Tim Hunt is a a a man of science and apparently not very good at talking to groups of women recently he gave a speech before an all-woman group and he said some things about women in the laboratory that uh, sparked some controversy
5: a Nobel Prize-winning scientist has resigned from his role at University College London after making supposedly sexist comments. So Tim Hunt told a conference in South Korea, let me tell you about my trouble with girls. Three things happen when you're in the lab. You fall in, they, you fall in love with them, they fall in love with you, and when you criticise them, they cry. He then made an apology of sorts on the radio.
0: It's terribly important that you... Um can criticize people's ideas without criticizing them. And if they burst into tears, it means that you tend to hold back from, you know, getting at the absolute truth. I mean, what science is about nothing except getting at the truth. And anything that gets in the way of that diminishes, in my experience, the science. I mean, I'm really, really sorry that uh, I caused any offense. That's awful.
1: What she doesn't mention in that opening of that report is that the South Korea, the the group to whom he was speaking in South Korea, was all women. So it does color this thing a little bit differently. However, he's still, it's foot-and-mouth disease. And here's another clip of, of sort of apology. This isn't something I would consider an apology. I did mean the part about
0: having, having trouble with girls. I mean, it, it is true that people, I have fallen in love with people in the lab and the people in the lab have fallen in love with me and it's very disruptive to the science um because it's it's terribly important that in the lab people are sort of on 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 a level playing field and i found that um you know these emotional entanglements made life very difficult i mean i'm really really sorry that uh, i caused any offense that's awful i mean i certainly didn't mean I, i just meant to be honest actually
2: Well, there's several things that are frustrating with this, and one of them is he says it's terribly important that in a lab people are on a level playing field. And all the time you hear about female scientists being told to wear their hair differently, dress differently, do something differently with their appearance so that they aren't hit on, so that they aren't distracting. right. Men are never asked to do those things.
1: Well, this guy, he didn't even bother to clip his his nose hair, <laughs> which is braidable. And I'm not fucking kidding. <laughs> go Google image search. I know that this is cheap, but go Google image search scientist or Dr. Tim Hunt, and you're going to see the longest fucking nose hair you've ever seen on a homo sapien. It is ridiculous. It's like out of a comedy sketch. Ugh.
2: So... I don't know what to say other than it's just ridiculous. You know, he says that women cry in labs when you criticize them. Yeah.
1: Here's my thing.
2: This guy. I'm rolling my eyes, by the way.
1: Yeah. I think they might be stuck. (laughs) Just hit your head off in the back of the head. Yeah, they hurt. Here's the deal is this guy is a Nobel Prize winning scientist. He was probably, I mean, he's a genius. He's a genius. He's a nerd turd. This guy is the height and the epitome of nerd turd. He probably hasn't always had the best luck with the gals, if you know what I mean. So he is probably falling in love in the lab all the time because, you know, any whiff of perfume sends him into a fucking frenzy. But he should be smart enough to know when he's running a lab with other human beings that this kind of behavior, this kind of... of uh. Just this thought pattern is, it's faulty, it's wrong, it's not indicative of the society in which we live the state of modernity in which we live.
2: Yeah, so this is unfortunate, and it's a bummer that he had to resign from his position because, I mean, it's not that big of a deal what he said. I mean, he shouldn't have said it, and it was stupid, but did he need to resign from his job? I mean...
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't even know if that's his 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 uh major position.
2: Maybe uh, he just needs to be talked to.
1: Right, right. A stern talking to. Yeah. Maybe spanked by a, a sexy lady.
2: And, well, <laughs> no. And since he thinks things like this... Since he thinks comments like these are ironic and meant to be taken lighthearted, I, I just wonder how he's giving criticism to people in his lab. Like, yeah. how-, how is that working to make them cry? I w- I- I'm I curious to see some sort of videotaped reaction where he's trying to reprimand somebody and what their reaction is.
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know.
2: Maybe they were crying because they were afraid that some of the nose hairs were going to get on them.
1: That actually is the most logical thing that I've heard surrounding this story the whole time. So moving along to a little 538 brought to you by Nate Silver. We love that guy. Recently in New York, there is a prison that has allowed an escape of two murderers, convicted murderers. One woman is now in custody or has been indicted or, or arrested for aiding and abetting them by giving them hacksaw blades and all kinds of other shit, it seems as though they've they've uh, romantically manipulated her, and she had some sort of relationship with one or both of them. But they are on the loose, and 538 comes in because they have compiled some data relative to prison escapes, successful prison escapes in New York over the course of how many years, Brittany?
2: So between 2002 and 2013, 30 prisoners managed to complete an escape from a New York prison, meaning that they got off the premises. But 60% of those prisoners were back in custody within six hours. Every remaining prisoner, save one, was caught within 24 hours of escape.
1: Wow, they, they get it done, huh?
2: And that last, longest-at-large prisoner still didn't manage to go on the lam permanently. He was back in a cell within three days. So far, these men have been out for... I think three days now, over three days.
1: Uh yeah, it seems like we're going on a week now. I don't know exactly, but it's it's longer than, than that.
2: So they are beating the odds yeah, as of are. now.
1: These guys are winners. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We shouldn't go that far. Completed escapes are most common at the very beginning of a prisoner's sentence. Huh. 37% of all completed escapes from 2002 to 2013 occurred within a prisoner's first year behind bars. An additional 30% of escapes happened in the next year, and only 10% of escapes were made by inmates who served more than five years, kind of crumbling the Shawshank Redemption yeah, the theory and, to the ground. The Andy
1: <laughs> Dufresne attempt.
2: Right. I guess maybe not all prisoners are as dedicated as Andy Dufresne. That's
1: right. He stood up to the sisters, too, so, you know, he's got some gumption.
2: It might be that the newest prisoners are most likely to escape because they have spent the least time adjusting to life behind bars and resigning themselves to confinement. However, it also may be that the more time an inmate has served, the more often he or she has seen fellow prisoners return to jail after only briefly successful escapes.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I... I I think it's interesting. I mean, there's obviously something. There's a lore or romanticism around escaping from prison, but uh, these are bad guys. I mean, there's a lot of talk on the news right now about one of them being psychopathic, mm-hmm. or he is he is a he is a problem, and that's yeah. not a guy we want on the outside. Right. So. I think
2: his family has come out and said that he's not a good yeah yeah so 538 ends this article saying if the two recent escapees are caught soon that success will give prisoners one more data point suggesting that even the cleverest escape attempt is unlikely to be worth it because you get caught yeah they bring you back yeah not worth it
1: so i just hope that in the wake of their of their escape that there isn't carnage you know that they don't commit more crimes home invasions rape murder you know the bad shit that you would expect from guys of this ilk.
2: An absence of carnage is always what I prefer. (laughs) So that would be great.
1: An absence of carnage, everybody. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up with this. It's the asshole of today. Kyle Smith. I think that's the way we should do it from now on. At the end of the drop, you say the asshole's name, and then we move on to the story.
2: Perfect. You're doing great. Continue doing (laughs) it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I like the encouragement. That's great. Uh, Kyle Smith is a New York Post film critic who recently had, I don't know if I'd call it an essay or just a little blurb in the New York Post about how ladies generally don't get the movie Goodfellas.
2: Yeah, this... This guy is just a turd and I yeah. as I was reading this article there were so many things that jumped out at me but I'll just read a couple of the things that were particularly just shocking.
1: First first let's do this. Let's let's talk a little bit about Goodfellas. Oh, okay, right. One right. of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, great movie. Starring um Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, and um the little guy, Joe Pesci. And it's a it's a mafia movie. And it is a classic, classic Mafia movie. It might be my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Either that or Godfather 2. So not to say that I just love Mafia movies because there's a lot of turds out there. But those two are really good movies. And Goodfellas especially is a, just a, a, a beautiful movie. Very well done and based loosely on real life. Mm-hmm. So based on the fact that it's a Mafia movie, this guy says that the ladies... They just don't get it, and they're not able to get it.
2: Right. So he says, the wise guys never have to work. The three friends never exert themselves except occasionally to do something fun like steal a tractor-trailer truck, which frees them up to spend the days and nights doing what guys love above all else, sitting around with the gang, busting each other's balls. So, okay, already right here, this uh. is this is what men like to do above all else is sit around with the gang, what is this Scooby Doo, and (laughs) bust each other's balls, right? (laughs) Okay, now, in case you don't know what ball-busting means, he defines it for you, because a delicate lady could be reading this, right?
1: Kyle Smith, thanks for the information, buddy. How does he define ball-busting?
2: Ball-busting means cheerfully insulting one another, preferably in the presence of lots of drinks and cigars and card games. Oh, Oh, yes, The Goodfellas guys are always at the card table, just as the Rat Pack were, while the Entourage guys love video games.
1: Well, the first scene, they're not... They're not at a car table. They're they're getting ready to dispose of a body that's in the trunk. So he's he's wrong right there. OK, but go ahead.
2: So women, except silent floozies, cannot be present for ball busting because women are the sensitivity police. They get offended, protest that someone's not being fair, refuse to laugh at vicious put downs. <laughs> really?
1: Is he is it is he a troll? Is this a troll?
2: I, I don't know. So this is the next one. To a woman, the good fellows are lowlifes. To the guys, they're hilarious. They're heroes. They rule the roost. Uh,
1: these guys are not fucking heroes to me. They are terrible psychopaths. Th- these They have no empathy. They have no compassion. They are ruthless fucking murderers.
2: Yeah, that's what was confusing to me. I mean... When you're watching the movie, you get enamored by them because they they seem funny and it would be fun to maybe hang out with them, but have them not know you're there probably because you don't want them to know who you are because well, they also, could turn on you at any moment.
1: It's also artful, very adroit storytelling by Scorsese, Martin Scorsese, who is the director, because you want to pull for the for the protagonist. And the protagonist in this case is Ray Liotta, Henry Hill who in real life was a terrible, terrible person. But in the story, it's the same thing with like Tony Soprano and the Sopranos. You root for Tony Soprano, inexplicably, even though he's a bad guy. Anyway, I'm sure that Kyle Smith has more to say.
2: As Goodfellas shows us, guys hanging out together don't really like to talk about the women in their lives because that's too real. What we'd much rather do than discuss problems and be supportive is to keep the laughs coming, to endlessly bust each other's balls. (laughs) <laughs> this has to be this has to be a joke, It right? has to be. A it good, has to be a joke. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. Someone can't really think this stuff, right?
1: I, I don't know. I bet the comments are even funnier because e- if this is a joke and I don't know that it is, but if this is a joke, the comments on this on this article on on New dot com have to be a bunch of idiots who think it's serious.
2: Well, there's one commenter that said the fact that the vast majority of female commenters here are offended and annoyed by this article proves that they indeed cannot understand Goodfellas. (laughs) Your balls were being busted by this article and you didn't get it.
1: Yeah, I don't get it. I think this guy's a jackass.
2: Maybe I don't get good, Goodfellas, but I enjoyed the movie, and I watch it almost every time I see it on the TV, so...
1: Yeah, well, it's it's one of those movies, I believe, and I, the reason we get along so well, Brittany Page, is that we both love Goodfellas so much. Right. So, it's one of those movies, like Braveheart, and Gladiator, and so many others, that when you cross them on TV, even if they're showing on TV, you sit and you watch them, mm-hmm. maybe till the end, just because they're that good. Yes, So, Kyle Smith, congratulations, brother. You are the asshole of today. With that, we are going to leave you. We appreciate your time spent listening to us, helping us move the conversation forward. Join in on this conversation. Give us a call, 657-464-7609. If you are voicemail-averse, why don't you email us a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at Dollamore.com. We love you, we appreciate you, but until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I doubt. It. I barely do anything around here. <laughs>